On this week's episode of Ride the Lightning, the Tesla unofficial podcast, Tesla held its Q1 earnings call, and as always, I've got all of the highlights and analysis from Elon Musk and the Tesla executive team. Plus, Tesla adjusts vehicle prices again and more. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, Tesla friends, wherever you may be listening and whenever you may be listening. I'm Ryan McCaffrey. This is Ride the Lightning, your weekly Tesla unofficial podcast, episode number 403 for April 23rd, 2023. Uh, You will have to forgive me on this episode. I am on the back end of a bit of a tough cold, so if I sound a little off, that is why, but... The good news is there is plenty of podcasts to get to, and you will hear other voices than mine, namely Elon Musk and the Tesla executive team as I recap and analyze this uh, this latest earnings call for Q1. But before we get to that, some good news, more price cuts. The Model 3, we'll start there, the base Model 3 is now down to $40,000, although... Now that the tax credit is officially cut in half, if you qualify for that, it is still a bit more money now than it was a week ago. If you don't qualify for that, uh, what was a $7,500 and is now a $3,750 tax credit, well, then it is cheaper for you. So 40 k for the base Model 3, again, tremendous value there in my opinion, as I've said over and over. The Model 3 performance remaining unchanged at 53000 On the Model Y, the standard range all-wheel drive Model Y has been trimmed down to $47,000. The most popular variant, the Model Y long-range dual motor, down to $50,000 and still qualifies for the full $7,500 credit. It's only the base Model 3 because of its Chinese-sourced LFP battery pack has the half credit. The rest of the Model 3 and Model Y lineup qualifies for the full 7500 So that Model Y long range, $50,000 before any tax in- incentives. And the Model Y performance is down to $54,000. So very interesting. The Model Y performance is just $1,000 more than the Model 3 performance. So if you're looking for a quick Tesla uh, at the, you know, at the the more affordable end of the scale versus the Plaid S or Plaid X, you've got a choice to make. You've got the Model 3 performance, which is a little quicker and it is $1,000 cheaper, but you've got the Model Y performance still plenty quick, 0 to 60 in 3.5 seconds for $1,000 more, but with a whole lot more cargo capacity. So... Uh, I wonder if that will push more people that were considering a Model 3 performance up to a Model Y performance instead. So as always, yay for greater affordability here, but not uh, so much on the S and the X. Those two cars each went back up by $2,500. However, there is a little bit of good news on the S and the X. They now come with three years of free unlimited supercharging. So Tesla 
pulling that little demand lever again. They haven't broken that one out in some time, uh, at least in terms of a, a, an extended period of time. Uh, you know, three years is is a lot. Uh, so that is that is interesting to see. Furthermore, uh, there's another change here as well. While the round steering wheel has, as you know, been the default option in the design studio on the S and the X, but you could just click and choose the yoke if you wanted it at no additional cost. Now, the round wheel is still the default in the design studio, but if you select the yoke, it is gonna cost you an additional $250. So, I guess they want the split to be more like 90-10 in favor of the wheel on this, instead of the 70-30 that I would purely guess that it's been at since they introduced the option of the round wheel. Although maybe it's already been 90 to 10 and they just figure, well, okay, if we're gonna keep offering this, we might as well just make the 10% of people who want the yoke pay for the privilege a little bit and or recoup the costs of this new and improved yoke with more durable materials that I talked about on last week's podcast, uh, just sort of, you know, helping recoup those, uh, those additional costs on the yoke. So some interesting changes again, the price adjustments are happening on a near weekly basis. At this point, we will be hearing more about this in the earnings call coming up later on. Uh, I hope all of you who are backing me at that $10 a month ludicrous tier or higher on my Patreon enjoyed this week's lightning round mini episode. I do them every single week on Patreon. And this one was about my thoughts on whether or not the next gen Roadster will ever get made. So I uh, espoused for longer than I thought on that, although I shouldn't have been surprised because I'm, I'm always game to talk Roadster for minutes or hours on end. I think it was about 23 minutes that that lightning round episode ended up being. So please check that out if you are already backing me on Patreon. And if you are not currently backing me and you'd like to support the podcast, support what I do here, it is purely voluntary. Obviously the podcast is free. It will always continue to be free, but I do put a lot of time, energy, love, research, enthusiasm into this thing. And if you do enjoy it and you've been enjoying it for some time, I hope that perhaps at some point you will consider a Patreon pledge. Those uh, Patreon tiers start at just five bucks a month. That five dollar a month tier will get you early access to each week's show. That $10 a month tier that I just mentioned will get you not just the weekly lightning round bonus mini episode, but also early access to this, the regular weekly episode. So you can find more information on my Patreon page at patreon.com slash Tesla podcast. Speaking of Patreon, this week's Patreon poll, which I posted early this week because I wanted to get it out ahead of the earnings call with some time to get a sample size of votes. So this week's Patreon poll question, which is open to anyone, you do not have to be a Patreon backer to vote. Just go to the aforementioned patreon.com slash Tesla podcast and you can vote in each week's poll. Again, I usually put those up on Tuesday nights. I posted it on Monday night this week. And the question was, again, ahead of the earnings call, what are you most hoping to hear about on this week's Q1 earnings call? I listed one, two, three, four, five choices with a sixth option for something else or just show me the results. The winning vote by a lot, 62% of the vote 
went to Cybertruck production update. That was what you most were most interested in hearing about or most hoping to hear about. 13% of you said an FSD or and or hardware 4 update. 9% went with something else, and I've got some comments down below uh, about that. Uh, five, uh, 8%, pardon me, wanted a Giga Mexico construction update. 5% voting for a Tesla semi-truck production update. And 2% of you, uh, people after my own heart, voted for a Roadster status update. Um, spoiler, we did not get that, but we did get a few of those other ones. So I'll get right into that here momentarily. First, I want to start, as I usually do, with the shareholder letter, which, of course, is always the preface to the earnings call itself. It drops about an hour before the earnings call happens. It gives the, the numbers and some details. So as always, I like to pour through that and give you the highlights and talk through it a little bit. So Tesla wasted no time in dropping the hammer to open the shareholder letter, which uh, again, came about an hour before the call. I will read you most of the introduction here. Take a listen to this. Tesla writes, in the current macroeconomic environment, we see this year as a unique opportunity for Tesla. As many car makers are working through challenges with the unit economics of their EV programs, we aim to leverage our position as a cost leader. We are focused on rapidly growing production, investments in autonomy and vehicle software, and remaining on track with our growth investments. Our near-term pricing strategy considers a long-term view on per-vehicle profitability given the potential lifetime value of a Tesla vehicle through autonomy, supercharging, connectivity, and service. We expect that our product pricing will continue to evolve upwards or downwards depending on a number of factors. Although we implemented price reductions on many vehicle models across regions in the first quarter, our operating margins reduced at a manageable rate. We expect ongoing cost reduction of our vehicles, including improved production efficiency at our newest factories and lower logistics costs, and remain focused on operating leverage as we scale. We are rapidly growing energy storage production capacity at our mega factory in Lathrop, and we recently announced a new mega factory in Shanghai. We are also continuing to execute on our product roadmap, including Cybertruck, our next generation vehicle platform, autonomy, and other AI enabled products. That would be a little hint at the Tesla bot, of course, Optimus. So at first, I stopped dead in my tracks in the middle of reading this and thought that this meant that more price cuts were coming. And then I had to go back and realize, no, that's exactly what they said. They were actually saying two things. So they did, in fact, say that. We expect that our product pricing will continue to evolve upwards or downwards, depending on a number of factors. And we saw that this week after, (laughs) before and since uh, the earnings call. And then the other one that I had to come back to was, we expect ongoing cost reduction of our vehicles. Because at first I was like, oh yeah, they're talking about pricing. No, they're not. They're talking about their cost to build the cars and getting those costs down so that they can maintain their margins, keeping those margins up. And then if they need or want to, those margins would give them more room to reduce the price to the customer even further. The next little piece of the shareholder letter that I want to mention, also on the first page in a little summary bullet point thing here, was this. Cybertruck factory tooling on track, 
producing alpha versions. And then Model Y was the best-selling vehicle in Europe in Q1. And then Model Y was the best-selling vehicle in the U.S. in Q1, except for pickup trucks. So how about that? The Model Y here in the United States is beating everything not named the F-150 and possibly also the Chevy Silverado and or the Dodge Ram. So that's pretty impressive. And then in Europe, where pickup trucks aren't really a thing, it's beating everything. So perhaps it will indeed reach that best-selling passenger vehicle in the whole world status this year rather than next. And again, if it doesn't get there this year, it is almost a lock that it's going to happen next year. So next piece, how financially healthy is Tesla? Here's the update on how much cash that they added to their Scrooge McDuck silo of gold coins. I'm always, I always like to read this because it's just astounding to me. As someone who has followed Tesla for as long as I have, from you can I have the receipts. You can go back and listen to many an earnings call recap episode like this one, from where quarter after quarter it was, oh, Tesla, nope, still in the red, still didn't turn a profit this quarter, but they're getting there, they're making progress. And now every quarter it's just, well, how much extra money went on the pile? this month. And sure enough, here you go. Quarter end cash, cash equivalents and investments increased sequentially by $217 million to $22.4 billion in Q1, driven mainly by free cash flow of $441 million, partially offset by other financing activities, including debt repayments. So $22.4 billion with a B in the vault. That is just, that is a wow figure to me right there. And again, that number now only goes up every quarter, even with the Cybertruck vehicle program still very much in the red, right? It's going to take a while for the Cybertruck to actually become profitable as a vehicle platform because they still haven't sold any. They're not, they're not even trying, you know, they're not able to make money on it yet. So even with that, more and more money goes into the profit pile. You know, surely I'm I'm no expert on the stock or the financial side of things. I don't pretend to be, but I have to wonder if dividends on the stock are going to be coming along at some point. Because again, Tesla just continuing to add more and more value to the company in a literal sense, even if the now the stock price, we'll talk more about that later. The stock price is, is not exactly soaring right now relative to where it's been and where I think it's going to go, but I do have to wonder, with that kind of just very dependable profitability now, at what point do shareholder dividends come into play? Anyway, let's get back to the shareholder letter. How about my favorite part of the shareholder letter every quarter, which is the installed annual vehicle capacity chart? It is unchanged from last quarter. You've got under region, California, SX uh, at a capacity of 100,000, 3 and Y in California, a capacity of 550,000. In Shanghai, the 3 and the Y capacity is listed as greater than 750,000. In Berlin, Model Y only, capacity greater than 350,000. 
Texas Model Y listed as greater than 250,000 Cybertruck, zero on that as of yet, and it is listed as with the status tooling, whereas everything else I just read, SX3 and Y, the status, of course, on those is production. Nevada, Tesla Semi still listed as in pilot production, and TBD region, Roadster and RoboTaxi and others both listed as in development. So uh, the Tesla Semi, again, still pilot production. Roadster still in development. Cybertruck still sitting at tooling. Now, we should finally see a change in this chart in the next shareholder letter. More on that in a bit. And to that end, Tesla added in the text descriptions for each facility under USA, they said equipment installation for Cybertruck production at Gigafactory Texas continued in Q1 and remains on track, end quote. And then the end of the shareholder letter, which always has photos from across the various production facilities, included this time a couple photos of the Cybertruck pilot production line, as well as a pretty nice picture of a Cybertruck doing winter testing in some undisclosed location. I posted those photos on my Twitter. I should probably put them on my Instagram as well. I'll uh, try to remember to do that after I finish recording this, but uh, yeah, so nice to see those pictures of both the pilot production line and a uh, Cybertruck just messing around in the snow as well. Here's a tech update for the future lineup of cars, starting with the Cybertruck under battery, powertrain, and manufacturing. Tesla writes, producing electric vehicles profitably is a challenging endeavor. It requires rethinking how vehicles are designed and produced from the ground up. Our cost journey is nowhere near finished, which is why we we recently announced transition to 48 volt architecture for vehicle electronics, starting with Cybertruck, higher penetration of in-house designed controllers, cheaper, more scalable drive units, and further innovations in the manufacturing process. Cost reduction remains the main enabler of delivering on our mission. Well, we heard about this at Investor Day, but to me, it's really cool to just stop and highlight it again because, you know, I would argue, I know Tesla hasn't really phrased it this way and maybe they don't see it this way, but I would argue that there's at least a case to be made depending on how you're looking at things, that the Cybertruck is in fact the start of generation four for Tesla because, okay, the Roadster was the first generation. S and X were gen two. The three and the Y, which shared a platform, were gen three. And now the Cybertruck with the structural battery pack, with the 48 volt architecture, could you could argue kicks off gen four. Now, if you want to, if you want to make the Marvel analogy here, you could just say you could uh, equate them to the phases of the movies: phase one, phase two, and now we're heading into phase four with the Cybertruck and then the generation. What is what Tesla calls the generation three platform? Finally, before I get to the earnings call, as promised, it is always fun to look at the outlook section at the end of the shareholder letter which reads as follows. Under volume, it says, we are planning to grow production as quickly as possible in alignment with the 50% CAGR target that we began guiding to in early 2021. 
and then a repeat of what we've heard before, which is in some years we may grow faster and some we may grow slower, depending on a number of factors. For 2023, we expect to remain ahead of the long-term 50% CAGR with around 1.8 million cars for the year. Under cash outlook, we have sufficient liquidity to fund our product roadmap, long-term capacity expansion plans, and other expenses. Furthermore, we will manage the business such that we maintain a strong balance sheet during this uncertain period. Under profit outlook, while we continue to execute on innovations to reduce the cost of manufacturing and operations over time, we expect our hardware-related profits to be accompanied with an acceleration of software-related profits. We continue to believe that our operating margin will remain among the highest in the industry. And finally, under the product outlook, Cybertruck remains on track to begin production later this year at Gigafactory Texas. In addition, we continue to make progress on our next generation platform. So, if the Roadster was going to be meaningfully mentioned, it probably would have been in that product outlook section at the end. But alas, no. So I stand by what I recorded in this week's lightning round mini episode on Patreon. Uh, take a listen to that. All right, the earnings call. We start, as always, with Elon Musk's opening remarks. Take a listen. So just a Q1 recap. Uh, Model Y became the best-selling vehicle of any kind in Europe uh, and the best-selling non-pickup vehicle in the United States. Um, and this is in spite of uh, a lot of challenges in production and delivery. So it's a huge credit to the Tesla team for um, deliver, uh, achieving these great results. Um, the, it, it is worth pointing out that the current macro environment uh, remains uncertain. Uh, I don't think I'm telling anyone they, any, anything people don't already know. Um, especially with large purchases such as cars. And uh, while we reduced prices considerably in early Q1, um, it, it's worth noting that our operating margin remains among the best in the industry. Uh, we've taken a view that pushing for higher volumes and a larger fleet is the right choice here uh, versus a lower volume and uh, higher margin. Uh, however, we expect our vehicles over time will be able to generate a significant uh, profit through uh, autonomy. So we, we, we do believe we're like laying the groundwork here, uh, and then it's better to ship uh, a large number of cars at a lower margin and subsequently um, uh, harvest that margin in the future as uh, we perfect autonomy. autonomy. This, this is an extremely important point. Um, let's see, regarding the Cybertruck, we continue to build alpha versions of the Cybertruck um, on our pilot line. For testing purposes, it's, it's a great product, um, and we're uh, completing the installation of the uh, volume production line at Giga Texas, and we're anticipating having uh, a, a delivery event, a, big, a great delivery event, uh, probably in uh, Q3. Uh, uh, as with all new products, uh, it's, it, it'll, it'll follow an S-curve of uh, you know, so production starts out slow and then accelerates. Um, so uh, the Cybertruck is no different. Um, so it's, it's you know, there's a tremendous amount of demand for the product, obviously. Uh, it, it is, in my view, a fantastic product, a Hall of Famer. Um, uh, but it, as, with, as with all uh, new products, it takes time to 
uh, get the manufacturing line going. And this is really a very radical product. It's not it's not made in, this, in the way that other cars are made. Um, so let's see, with regard to Megapack, we're making uh, great progress. Our energy storage deployment reached nearly four gigawatt hours in Q1. It's by far the strongest quarter ever. And this growth was achieved thanks to the ongoing ramp at our mega factory in Lathrop, California. Um, there's still some way to go to reach the full run rate of 40 gigawatt hours per year. Um, and then we additionally announced the start of a new mega factory uh, in Shanghai. So we were, um, as, as we've um, uh, expected, the stationary storage growth actually will significantly exceed the vehicle growth. Um, Regarding uh, autopilot and full self-driving, we've now crossed over 150 million miles driven by full self-driving beta, and this number is growing exponentially. We're, uh, I mean, this is a, a data advantage that really no one else has. Uh, those who understand uh, AI will understand the importance of data, of training data, um, and how fundamental that is to uh, achieving an incredible outcome. So. Uh, so um, we're also very, very focused on improving our neural net training capabilities um, as it is one of the main limiting factors of achieving full autonomy. Um, so we're continuing to, to uh, simultaneously make uh, significant purchases of uh, NVIDIA GPUs uh, and also putting a lot of effort into Dojo, uh, which we believe has the potential for an order of magnitude improvement in the cost of training. Um, and it also, Dojo also has the potential to become a sellable service uh, that we would offer to other companies in the same way that Amazon Web Services, uh, you know, offer, offers uh, more web services, um, even though it started out as, as a bookstore. So uh, I really think that, yeah, the Dojo potential is, is very significant. Uh, in conclusion, we're taking a view that we want to keep making and selling as many cars as we can. Um, despite this being an uncertain macro environment, uh, this is a, a good time to increase our lead further um, and we'll continue to in invest in growth as fast as possible. Uh, once again, I'd like to uh, give a, a huge thanks to all Tesla employees worldwide for doing an incredible job again. And um, yeah, um, super appreciated. Well, the part that most likely jumped out at you in all of that was probably the same part that leaped out at me as well. Cybertruck delivery event in Q3. Now, Elon did say probably, and I have to give him credit, he has gotten better about throwing that little nice get out of jail free word in there on statements like this, which he needs to, so that things sound less like ironclad promises and more like goals that they are you know, looking good for it, but might not necessarily hit. Anyway, I would still bet on it being the earlier side of Q3. July is what feels good to me. I could see a delivery event in July. Of course, I'm basing that on nothing, but uh, I also don't think at the same point that Tesla is going to rush the Cybertruck in any way, shape, or form whatsoever. They know that a lot of eyes are going to be on the Cybertruck. And no, I'm not just talking about the gawking pedestrians, other drivers and passers-by that you will pass by on the road when you're out in yours. There are a lot of people out there who genuinely think that the Cybertruck is a joke. 
And so it's important for Tesla to put its best foot forward here. I mean, it always is. Don't get me wrong, but I think this one is especially crucial. I mean, the pickup truck market is just so vital to break into. You don't want to dig yourself any holes out of the gate if you're Tesla by by making any sort of avoidable mistake, you know, shipping something a little early, having any sort of early production issue. You want the product to be polished. You want the product to blow people away right out of the gate. So we'll see if the mid-2023 that Tesla had been sticking to for a while ends up sliding back a month or two to August or September. Because if you notice, again, that's the the exact words that they'd been using for a while. Oh, mid-2023. Now it's just saying in later in 2023 seems to be the more general terminology that they've shifted to. But either way, whenever it comes, we are getting really close now. We are less than six months out from the start of Cybertruck deliveries. All right, let's start with the retail investor most upvoted questions. The first one was, what is the process to adjusting the prices? Here's a comment from both Elon Musk and the CFO, Zach Kirkhorn. Uh, yeah, I think this is not something that we, we can really talk about. It's just uh, uh, we, we do our best to evaluate the you know the production output, macroeconomic conditions, and, and we make a decision. But it's, yeah, uh, unless it's something you'd like to add, Zach. I think that's right. I mean, as a team, we review where we stand globally on a weekly basis and certainly can't get into the details of the reasons why certain decisions are made. But it it is something that's very actively managed by a subset of the leadership team. I'm sure that the Tesla executive team is looking at a ton of different factors in those weekly meetings. You got minerals costs, you've got supply chain situations, you've got shipping and transport costs, you've got what government incentives in countries or individual states are either about to go into effect or will no longer be in effect at all, such as the new halving of the federal tax credit on the base model three. I mean, they don't want to talk about the details of dropping the prices, but it's the reasons that I just listed that were cited on earnings calls a year ago for why prices had crept upwards so much. So it only makes sense that some of those same factors are no doubt part of the decision to lower the prices as well. As always, uh, one of the most frequently upvoted questions on pretty much every earnings call, and understandably so, and I'm happy to see it continue to get upvoted. What is the progress on the 4680 battery cells? Yeah. So on on battery day, we established a cost down roadmap through 2026 across five areas of effort. There was the cell design we discussed, um, anode cathode materials, the structural pack concept, and the cell factory itself. We've been making progress across all these aspects since then. Um, for the cell factory, the the Texas 4680 factory, we you know are partway through building and commissioning and installing and operating. Uh, will be 70% lower capex per gigawatt hour than typical cell factories when fully ramped, in line with what we described on Battery Day. Um, and we're continuing to further pursue densification and investment reduction opportunities in future factory buildouts like in Nevada. Um, on the cell design, we're in production with not only the first generation tablet cell we unveiled on Battery Day, but a second more manufactured version in Texas today. On the cathode material side, we have a number of activities underway per the battery day roadmap. Uh, for lithium, our Corpus Christi lithium refinery breaks ground uh, this May. 
Uh, our goal is to start commissioning portions of the facility for the, for the end of the year. Uh, the refinery uses the sulfate-free spodumene refining process with reduced process costs, no acid or caustic reagents, lower embodied energy, and actually produces a beneficial byproduct that can be repurposed in construction materials. We discussed all of these concepts on battery day. Um, same with cathode precursor. We've successfully just demonstrated a lower process cost, zero wastewater precursor process uh, that we described on battery day at both lab and pilot scale and are in the detailed design phase for incorporating this technology into the front end of our Austin cathode facility. On cathode production, we are 50% equipment and 75% utilities installed uh, at our new cathode building in Austin uh, with our goal to begin dry and wet commissioning this quarter and next quarter with the target to produce first material before the end of the year. Um, structural pack, we saw big improvements with pack manufacturing with the 4680 cell in the structural pack concept, 50% lower capex and 66% smaller factory for the same output uh, in gigawatt hours per year. Um, you know, we're, we, we do believe structural as a, as a concept is a good one. It's simpler. Uh, we'll, we'll continue to structurally load the cells and use the pack as the floor of the vehicle while iterating the design to closer to B-level execution of this A-level architecture in future programs. Um, and zooming out for the 4680 team, Q1 was all about cost and quality. We made significant improvements in both areas. On uh, Texas, production increased 50% quarter over quarter. Through yields increased 12%, and Cato peak rate increased by 20%, and through yields improved by 20%. Altogether, the team accomplished a 25% reduction in COGS over the quarter, um, and we are on track to achieve steady-state cost targets over the next 12 months. Um, and going forward for the rest of the year, the priority one is yielding cost for the 4680 program as we steadily ramp production ahead of Cybertruck next year. Of course, the Cybertruck is going to be the first big test of the 4680s. And what I mean by that is that the only other vehicle that the 4680s are used in right now is the standard range Model Y. That is not a vehicle with huge performance or huge range. The 500-mile Cybertruck will need to achieve both of those things simultaneously, 0 to 60 in 2.9 seconds, 500 mile range. So Tesla is clearly getting its ducks in a row in order to be able to hit the ground running on that top end Cybertruck that they are likely to start production with. Next up, a question about gross margins. Um, you know, this is a difficult environment to make a projection like this. You know, there's a lot of macro uncertainty. Um, there's also headwinds and tailwinds. And um, you know, this is basically a question I think that's asking about our viewpoint on where costs will go. And and within costs, there's a set of costs in which we do control, a set of costs in which we're kind of subject to what's going on in the macro world. You know, within the bucket of things we control, you know, the, the most of the cost down that we're working on is around ramping our Austin factory, stabilizing that. Um, and then doing the cost optimization work once we get to our intended volumes there. And, and a, a part of the cost journey in the Austin factory is, as Drew mentioned, the 4680 cell, which is an input into our Austin COGS. Uh, and so, um, you know, as the 4680 program improves over the course of the year on cost, as Drew mentioned, and then the non-cell portion of the factory improves, you know, we see a pretty good trajectory in the Austin facility. But a similar story exists in the Berlin factory. Um, it does not have 4680 as an input, but 
uh, for that factory, the journey to complete localization ha uh, is still ongoing. And so over the course of this year, as volume increases, um, uh, more localization occurs, you know, we do see a good path to cost reduction in the Berlin factory as well. Um, in existing factories, too, we talk about this on every call, so I don't need to rehash it, but you know, the expectation is that every existing factory improves all of their key metrics, and we continue to see the progress there. Um, uh, you know, th there's, you know, there's also a handful of other costs in which we have influence, but, you know, the philosophy here is that we're aggressively going across every cost bucket that we can. Um, within the world that we don't control, you know, the two major costs there being logistics, which fortunately is moving in our favor. And I think our supply chain team has done a, a great job both on logistics optimization and taking advantage of, of reduced spot rates where they can. Uh, so thank you to our supply chain team. Um, and then there's the commodities world, which uh, has been a huge page point in our cost structure over the last, say, two years or so. And we're still kind of at the maximum of pain for commodities in our cost structure. Um, it kind of maximized, it maxed out in the second half of last year. We did start to see in Q1 a little bit of improvement. Um, we think there'll be a little bit more improvement in Q2. But, um, and you know, the lithium has dropped a lot. It's worth mentioning yeah. that the price of lithium has dropped significantly. Yeah, and, and that's, that's the piece that we expect to see more impact from in Q2. And, and generally, as a company, we do expect commodity prices to come down and have a more meaningful impact in the second half of the year. Yeah. So, you know, th this is our approach, how that nets out. I mean, just just a lot of, of risk and we'll have to see how the year progresses. As you may have noticed over time, I don't usually play many of the Zach Kirkhorn clips because he tends to be more of a numbers driven guy, which is obvious since he's the CFO. But I thought I would play this one because I think it gives a pretty good overview of how Tesla is approaching efficiency from a financial perspective. It really is a top to bottom, left to right, front to back situation. They have to be aware of all of the different juggling pins in the air and not drop any of them. All right, the next question most upvoted here was how are the orders going since the price cuts? I think the overall thing we can say is that uh, um, uh, orders are in excess of production. That's it. Short and sweet. And hey, I suppose that's what you want, right? If it's the opposite, you're in trouble. You want demand to ideally exactly match production, but failing that near impossible task, you want demand to exceed production by at least a little bit lest you have it, again, the other way around, and you're stuck with cars being pumped out that nobody wants. That's certainly not the case here. I'm not sure that will ever be the case with Tesla. Although, now that I think about it, I think it will be interesting to see what happens when the Generation 3 car does come out. Is it going to eat into the demand for the 3 and or the Y at all? And the reason that I pose that question now is because remember back in 2017, 2018, the Model S's demand absolutely suffered because of the Model 3. There is no question. Now, there's other pieces to that. The range of the S at the time, the 75D, the base S, had a shorter range than the $49,000 Model 3, which was 310, later revised upwards to 330 miles. So there was more to it than that. But my point stands. I will be curious to see uh, if there's any sort of weird 
overlap and transition as they sort of have to differentiate themselves from from kind of, you know, the, the Gen 3 car cannibalizing the 3 and the Y potentially. It's something to keep an eye on at least. Next up, the question was asked, what about the final pricing and features for the Cybertruck? Elon? Well, I think we'll save uh, that for the uh, Cybertruck handover, which will hopefully be around the end of Q3 this year. Um, and I, I, one thing I, I, I am confident of saying is that it's an incredible product. Um, it's a Hall of Famer, I think. Um, and a, a product like this only comes along once, once in a long while. So um, people will not be disappointed at all. It's amazing. Okay, so uh, yeah, forget what I said earlier in the podcast about being optimistic for July deliveries. September it is! My birthday is near the end of September. Thus, what I'd like for my birthday, Tesla, if you're listening, is to be invited to this event. I would love to go and cover it for the podcast. Anyway, uh, that means if we are indeed looking at roughly September, let's just say towards the end, let's you know, the end of the quarter, and then if it's any earlier, we'll just be pleasantly surprised. So we are about exactly five months away from the first deliveries of the Cybertruck. Let's see how much information the community is able to suss out and or correctly guess from all of the public Cybertruck sightings that are happening between now and then. All right, now we move to the analyst questions. The first one, what other regions still need serving on the vehicle side of things? Uh, Yeah, that's a good question because there there are still many parts of the world that we do not uh, yet serve with respect to vehicles especially. Um, So we we do expect to open up new markets around the world. Um, And while those markets are not necessarily individually um, gigantic, they they do add up to, you know, if you add up a whole bunch of markets, they, they... do collectively um, sum up to something significant. So it's, it's, it's high time that uh, Tesla offered its cars um, to the rest of the world, and, and that is something that we intend to do. Well, we've heard Elon call out boring, boneheaded questions on the earnings call before, so it's nice to hear him acknowledge a good question. Sadly, though, he didn't provide any specifics for what other markets they intend to enter although he did seem to suggest there that it won't necessarily be a gigantic market. Something like, say, India comes to mind as a giant market. But yes, it is high time for Tesla to become a fully global car company. They now have the production capacity to support that, and with their long-stated goal of making 20 million cars per year at the start of the next decade, they're going to have to expand to most, if not all, markets. The next question was about what are the FSD take rates and with the price drops, will FSD get a price drop? Here's Elon. Um, well, I, I'll decline to answer the, the details on the FSD take rate, but the, it, it, it's, a tricky, it's a tricky pricing question because the, the value of a car that is autonomous is enormous. Um, so in a way, the you know the price right now is an option value on uh, on on an autonomous vehicle, um, and and that that value is that will, you know will ultimately be very very significant. And um, you know it's really really yeah. I mean for those that are that are using the FSD beta, I think you can see the the improvements are really quite 
dramatic. Um, you know, there'll, there'll be a little bit of uh, two steps forward, one step back between releases um, and for those trying the beta. But the, the, the trend is very clearly towards full self-driving, uh, towards full autonomy. And, um, you know, <laughs> I hesitate to say this, but I, I think we'll do it this year. Um, so that's what it looks like. Um, yeah. I appreciate that Elon has at least developed some humorous self-awareness around the fact that he has promised that autonomy would happen this year, basically every year since 2016. I wholeheartedly agree about the progress, by the way, and about the two steps forward, one step back nature of the major version releases. But this year, I mean, I think the version releases are going to have to pick up for there to be any chance of that happening. I mean, this isn't a complaint at all. I want to preface what I'm about to say with that. But on on version 10 and earlier, the releases were coming at a pretty steady bi-weekly cadence. Now, it's too early to tell if version 11 is going to get back to that, but in more recent times, the pace of releases has slowed way, way down. And so I just don't see us getting there in, in what is effectively eight months from now, but I've come to realize that it's not just going to be a thing where we wake up to a new version in the car one day and poof, you no longer have to pay attention at all or hold the wheel at all. It's going to be a really, really gradual thing, as we've been seeing. But again, I love being a part of the FSD beta. I love following along firsthand with the progress on this. I'm also eager to see when and how Hardware 4 meaningfully contributes to this holy grail quest for full autonomy. Uh, the next question was about commodity pricing, and that led into a little discussion about getting the Earth elements and that whole side of the business that Tesla is now going to tap into themselves. Man, I wish I had a crystal ball to answer your question. Um, I, I don't know if, if, if we can provide a, a, a question that would, um, with, with, that, that would have any uh, value, really. It's, I think we're, we're, we're in uncertain times, and... If somebody's got a crystal ball they can lend me, I'd, I'd really like to borrow it. Um, but, uh, you know, these are, these are uncertain times. Um, you know, my, my guess is this, we're, it's, you know, economic stormy weather for about a year or so. Um, and then, if we'll, we'll call it roughly 12 months, and, and then, this is just my guess. I'm, it's just pure speculation. Uh, stormy weather for about 12 months, and and then... Provided there are not no major geopolitical wild cards that that, that show up, um, that that is, things start getting sunny around spring next year. The only yeah, the only thing I would say on the <clears throat> like uh, EV materials markets, they're not all super liquid, and some of them, for example, like less than like single digit percentage uh, of the market is actually traded on the spot market, so, uh, and they're. Not only are they not super liquid, there's not like storage isn't particularly facile for all of the materials. So uh, like small mismatches in supply and demand drive like large price swings, not not really real price swings, but just like temporarily large price swings. So it's hard to read into those price swings. I don't know, Karn, if you want yeah, to add anything. Uh, well, but this is Karn, by the way. We, we are seeing, you know, as Elon mentioned, quite a bit of softening in the lithium carbonate market. 
Um, this was, you know, six months ago, we were trading at like $85,000 a ton. And, and today's spot price is about 26. So, so there's been a dramatic uh, decrease in that. Uh, of course, we were able to take advantage of uh, low lithium pricing earlier on with fixed price contracts. And we find that this is going to be another opportunity, opportune moment uh, to basically extend that uh, into the later half of the decade. Uh, but, uh, you know, we, we, we at the quantities we're procuring, we're not as impacted by the spot market uh, because we have um, those contracts in place. And we're just going to be uh, going and doing more of that. The other thing that's happening is because of the price spike, um, a lot of the companies that are in this business are uh, becoming more ambitious about finding more upstream resources and exploring uh, locations in Africa as well as South America. Um, so that's that's also helping the, the macro situation with pricing. Yeah. Um, but, but just on, on the lithium front, to, to emphasize the, the 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 choke point is is more much more on refining capacity than it is on on mining. Lithium is actually is is very common uh, throughout the world, uh, in, including in the U.S. and and really never ever. It's it's just a very common um, element on on Earth uh, is lithium. Um, so it's it's much more a question of where's the refining capacity, and can the refining capacity uh, keep up? That's that's really what what matters more than. Where it, where is the uh, lithium ore? Um, it's everywhere, basically. Um, the, the, I, I think that same uh, question also extends to refining of the uh, the, the, the cathode um, and to some degree refining of the anode. And this is why we've uh, at, at Tesla we're, we're building our you know lithium refinery capability at Corpus Christi and uh, our cathode uh, refinery. Uh, Outside of Austin, um, no, I, I just, it's worth noting. Like, I, 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 I hope other companies do do the same thing. <laughs> we, we, we will have by far the most uh, lithium refining capability and the most uh, a cathode refining capability in North America. I think probably more than everyone else combined, by a lot. So can can other people please do this work? That would be great. <laughs> We're begging you. <laughs> we we don't want to do it. <laughs> you know, can someone please, like, instead of making a picture sharing app, please <laughs> refine <laughs> lithium mining and refining heavy industry. Come on. It's fun. It's actually fun. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Yeah. It's real. You have a yeah. customer. We're here, <laughs> ready yeah. to buy. Yeah, that's yeah, right. It's, it's just want to emphasize, Tesla's not doing this because we want to do it. We have a lot of, we we have a lot of fish to fry, obviously, but we're doing it because others aren't doing it, and we wish others would do it. It's interesting to hear Tesla mention that they have long-term contracts on these elements that lock in their prices. I mean, maybe that's a totally obvious thing. I guess I just had never heard about it or just really considered it before, but. With all of the lithium Tesla is going to be needing as they scale up towards that 20 million car per year goal, I have to imagine that they're going to be well positioned to renew those deals at favorable rates and make new deals with new miners and refiners at favorable rates as well. Whereas the other car makers who are just now getting into the EV game and haven't been able to scale up their vehicle production on the EV side yet are probably gonna be stuck paying more due to having smaller orders for the elements than Tesla does. It's yet another example of the groundwork that Tesla has been laying for years now that is paying off for them as they level up to their next set of big goals. They are 
reaping what they have spent years sowing here. Uh, next was a pricing strategy question about how can you monetize the existing fleet in the future and is the robo-taxi for next gen and not the existing generation of cars? And Elon sought to clarify that. Sorry, the, the robo-taxi terminology can be a bit confusing uh, because that, that's sort of like a generic term for our next generation uh, vehicle. Um, and we obviously are working on next generation vehicle. It's going to be very compelling. This is just not the time to talk uh, about it in detail as a product. Um, so we, we, we internally call it RoboTaxi. <laughs> but, but, but really, all of the vehicles that have hardware three, which is the vast majority of our fleet, we believe will achieve full autonomy. So they will be robo. They will be a a ro like a Model Three or Model Y would be a robo taxi, um, a robotic taxi. Um, so yeah, that that's to, to the best of my knowledge that we, we we believe the the current hardware can achieve full autonomy. Okay, so let me get this straight. Tesla refers to the next gen car as the robo taxi, but says the hardware three cars will be able to be robo taxis, but the next gen platform cars will almost certainly all have hardware for. Make it make sense. <laughs> that, is, that is a lot. There's a lot of uh, crossing of the, of the Ghostbusters streams going on on that. Anyway, uh, let's move on. The question here was about Dojo. The, the, you know, I'd, I'd look at Dojo as like uh, kind of a long shot bet, but if it's a long shot bet that pays off, it'll pay off in a very, very big way. Um, like potentially, you know, yeah, potentially in a very, very big way. Like, you know, um, in the, in the multi hundred billion dollar level, but, but the thing with like, you know, still put it in the long shot category, but long shot with a multi hundred billion dollar, you know, potential outcome. And, uh, so, so it's a bet worth making. Um, but not one you can take, you, you can sort of, Say like, oh, you know, take it to the bank type of thing. <laughs> Although these days, take it to the bank, <laughs> it's maybe not as <laughs> as secure as it used to be. Um, so, um, and obviously, we're big believers in heat pumps. Um, you know, and, and that is on our on our list. That you know, over time, is to do a really good uh, heat pump for homes and you know, commercial offices and stuff and we have the technology it's really good um but it's it's still it's it's a backburner item um uh, you know focuses very much on on vehicles autonomy stationary storage basically as solving sustainable energy um and solving uh, autonomy which would be uh you know like says solving autonomy if 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 we're able to have a fleet of several million vehicles that with a software update uh, can ha can be potentially worth several times their original value. That's that 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 will be if that happens. That will be the and I think it will happen. Um, that'll be the biggest uh, asset value increase in history. I think the reason I wanted to share this clip with you isn't for the the cars will be the biggest value asset increase in history line that we've heard Elon say several times before, but rather the beginning of that where he classified Dojo as a long shot bet. I've never heard him speak that way. Would you call it a, I guess, 
I don't know if this is too strong a word, but speaking that pessimistically about Dojo, because ever since AI day number one, Dojo has seemed like another one of Tesla's vertically integrated, great idea, breakthrough kind of projects. So I am curious then, what's the risk with Dojo? Is it the cost to build it versus just buying NVIDIA GPUs? I mean, I can't imagine that the chip's performance is in question. I really would have loved a follow-up on that Dojo topic, but perhaps we will get that another day. Next, another pricing question about how Tesla monitors the reactions to price changes. No, and it, it's really just like, you know, we're, every day we get um, a, a daily real-time update of how many cars were ordered yesterday, how many cars were produced yesterday. We must have, like, if, if there's a company that's got more real-time data than, than Tesla, I'd, I'd you know, I'm not sure. I'm not sure there's any company on Earth that has better real-time data than than Tesla, except maybe SpaceX, Starlink. You know, so because um, because like we don't have to. You know, for the other car companies, they will uh, make the cars, send them to the dealers, then the dealers will sell the cars, and you know, and then it takes quite a long time for them to get the data back to actually figure out how many cars were sold. Um, whereas we know how many cars were ordered yesterday uh, throughout the world. Um, so, so our fingers on the pulse is, is real time and does not have latency, whereas the other uh, car companies have a lot of latency in their data, as does the government. The government has a lot of latency in, in their data. So, so we're just looking at and saying, okay, um, you know, what, what, what does it uh, take to achieve a clearing price for our vehicle production? Um, and then we, we make a pricing change and we see what happens immediately. Um, and adjust course. So we're adjusting course, and we're thinking about it literally every day, seven days a week. Um, every seven days a week, I look at that email, and so does the rest of the team. And we, we, we try to make the least dumb decision that we can. Um, you know, and on balance, I think our decisions are pretty good. Um, you know, sometimes they'll be, you know, dumb, but on average, they're, I think, better than the rest of the industry. Just just to add on the question about EV market share or ICE, um, th this comes up a lot. I think a lot of the public debate is around this concept of EV market share. You know, we don't look at it that way. I mean, we look at yeah. it as market <laughs> share of cars. It's it's yeah. the car market, not the EV yeah, market. Yeah. And, and actually, the the mission of the company requires internal combustion engine cars to be switched over to electric vehicles. So that's what we pay attention to. Yeah, I, yeah. I've said that last time too. You just we got to you guys got to stop looking at it as the EVB EV market. It's how many cars are we selling? Just start looking at it that way. All all cars all cars will be EVs. It's uh, you know, it's going to you know, I've said this for a long time. We'll look back, I don't know, assuming civilization still around in 20 years. Um, uh, we'll look back on internal combustion engine vehicles the same way we look back on external combustion engine vehicles, which like a steam engine. A steam engine is an external combustion engine vehicle. And, you know, there's still a few around. They're kind of quirky and, you know, kind of cool collector's items. Uh, that's, that's how gasoline cars will be in the future. I know we've heard the EV market share versus car market share thing before, but I think it does bear emphasizing. The fact is the EV market itself still barely exists. It's Tesla 
and then it's everyone else combined, not even remotely equaling what Tesla has done from a volume and production perspective. So yes, it's the EV market share that will one day consume the overall car market share because as you heard Elon say, and we all know and believe is happening, EVs are taking over both as desired products by consumers, but also aided by government mandates about EVs in, uh, and the restrictions of ICE sales in a number of countries. Also, I'd like to hear more about Tesla's daily sales data. Like, I know there's proprietary information that they're not necessarily going to give out, but it's, I'm talking about some of the more, like, abstract stuff. Like, what day of the week typically gets the most car orders? I'd be curious about that. What time of day typically gets the most orders? Those kinds of quirky bits of data are the ones that I would personally be really fascinated to hear about. Anyway, uh, I've got one, two more clips for you here. This one is about the elasticity of demand. So yes, another pricing question. I can't emphasize enough the, the, the whole just fundamental question of affordability. Um, for, the, for most people, the, the, their ability to buy a car is a function of, of can they make the monthly payment or not. Um, and, you know, so like I said, if, if, if interest rates are really high like they are right now, um, then, um, you know, in, in, in some cases, people can't get a loan at all. You know, so it, it's it's a, uh, and <laughs> I think probably banks are are, are pretty, uh, you know, not not leaning forward in providing loans. I I expect these days. So, uh, you know, so that that's, but but, but like the, the, there there is, there is a quite a powerful story here, when you, uh, you know, going back to something I was alluded to a moment ago, um, or mentioned a moment ago, that. Tesla is in a uniquely strong strategic position um, because we're the only ones making cars that technically we could sell for zero profit um, for now and then yield actually tremendous economics in the future but no, through autonomy. No one else can do that. I, I'm not sure how many of you will appreciate the profundity of what I've just said, but it is extremely significant. Well, that won't make investors happy. And in fact, it didn't. The day after the earnings call, Tesla's stock dropped by about 10%. That was Thursday. And then Friday, it only bounced back up by $2. So I suppose it was a good buying opportunity for those of you who like me, see the bigger picture with Tesla as being something that's going to get a heck of a lot brighter in the coming decade. All right, the final clip I have for you from the Q1 earnings call is again about the price cuts and the price changes. Will Tesla's price cuts end the competition? Well, I mean, we're not trying to say take pricing actions in order to be deliberately uh, to deliberately undermine competitors or anything like that. We, we, we really don't think about competitors that much. We just look at, you know, do people like our cars? How can we make the product better? Uh, can they afford our cars? Um, and, uh, you know, the sort of the things like improving service and, and whatnot. Um, but, but like I said, we, we do have this 
uh, unique strategic advantage that that we have an we're making a a car that uh, if autonomy pans out and we think it will, um, where that that asset is actually will, will be worth a hell of a lot more in the future than it is now. So it is technically possible to sell it at zero profit, but still have the net present value of future cash flows associated with that asset be very significant. Yeah. And service and charging and insurance and all of these other ongoing revenue streams that other companies don't have. Yeah. Certainly, we want all EVs to succeed, too. We just want to say that. We're not in, like, some malicious attack to try to discourage yeah. everybody. <laughs> Definitely not. We're, 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 like, opening up uh, superchargers. We've made our patents available for free. So it's, like, we're trying to be helpful here, you know. So um, it, we're, we're not trying to – we're not out to, to just destroy competitors or anything like that. We're trying to help competitors, frankly, um, in any way that we can. I honestly believe Elon when he says that Tesla doesn't think much about competitors because if they did, they would have followed through on that 520 mile range Model S Plaid Plus in order to just beat the lucid air for the for the longest range electric vehicle as one example. I really, really do think that Tesla does focus on their own cars and making them as awesome as possible. In fact, here's another good example. Would Tesla have gone through with the Cybertruck if they were worried about what their competitors were doing? I don't think so. I don't think so. I think the Cybertruck is the ultimate sign of the iconoclastic nature that is Tesla, which has worked wonders for them thus far. All right, I hope you enjoyed that recap and analysis and the highlights from the Q1 earnings call. As usual with these quarterly earnings call episodes, we're already over an hour into the podcast, so I'm going to skip the Ride the Lightning hotline for this week in an effort to be respectful of your time as a listener. So I promise you I will get to more of your phone calls next week. But if you'd like to call in, feel free to do so. The lines are open anytime, 24-7. There are two easy ways that you can call into the podcast. Either use your smartphone's built-in voice recording software to record your question. Please try to keep it to 90 seconds or less so that I can get to as many people each week as possible. And then email that file to me at teslapodcast at gmail.com. Or you can take that same 90 second or less call and just leave a message on the Ride the Lightning hotline. The toll-free number there, which you can dial anytime, day or night, is one 888 989-8752. Again, that's one 989 tsla Stick with me. I will be right back. I'm not quite done with this episode yet. Got a little bit more for you coming up right after this. Hi, this is Franz von Holzhausen, and you're listening to Ride the Lightning with Ryan McCaffrey, the Tesla unofficial podcast. As for me and what's going on in my life, I was very much enjoying driving my nice, clean Model 3 around. It was still looking great from washing it the weekend before. And then a bird absolutely bowel-bombed me. Thankfully, it mostly hit the glass, but I wiped off, got it all cleaned up. I know it's, I think it's, it's not good luck if bird poo hits your car. It's supposedly good luck if it hits you, right? If you're actually just out walking and you get you get bombed. But anyway, uh, yeah, I was I was fortunate that it mostly hit the glass, got it cleaned off. In in much better news and more serious news, 
I'm so happy just today, just a few hours ago here, Daisy the Boxer got a near perfect checkup. Ba- I mean, basically a perfect checkup from her cardiologist. This was the first attempt, what we were doing here, we're uh, going on a new medication, Sotalol, to address the irregular heartbeats that were discovered at her last checkup. So her, you know, she walked all the way back miraculously from her heart condition. Her heart got back to normal size, normal function, everything was good. But then whether it was related to that or just an aging boxer thing, I mean, not that she's old, but you know, she's, she's middle of the road now in boxer years. So they found a, a slight irregular heartbeat, some electrical irregularities, which can be dangerous. So said, okay, let's put her on some Sotalol, which lucky for me is a dirt cheap medication. Humans take it. So I'm actually just getting it from the Costco pharmacy in a like 90 day mail order, making it even cheaper. So at least the money side of it's not a worry. Not that that would stop me. I would do anything I could for Daisy. And so she wanted, the cardiologist wanted us to you know, be on that Sotalol for a couple of months and then do another Holter monitor, have her, you know, wear the heart monitor for 24 hours to get a look at her again and see how it was going on that medication. We did that yesterday or well, Wednesday, and then, uh, turned it in on Thursday, got the results today, Friday, and it was all good. Everything is all smoothed out now. Those irregular heartbeats are gone thanks to the medication. So we got the medication dialed in the right dosage properly on the first try. This veterinarian, Dr. Sarah Silverman at Sage Veterinary in Redwood City, California, continues to just be the Michael Jordan of veterinary cardiologists. This this woman does not miss. She has been amazing for Daisy. Uh, I, I owe her so, so much. Uh, such a debt of gratitude, and I'm just so grateful that Daisy is doing great. Uh, Daisy's been through a lot health-wise in in her first, not even six years. She turned six this summer, so under six years of life, but she is doing awesome now, which makes me so happy. Hey, a quick entertainment recommendation for you, and I confess I'm not done with this show yet, so the second half of it, because I've watched the first half, Second half could get bad, but I've heard really good things, so I don't think that's going to happen. But I watched the first half of Beef, which is a one at the moment one season show on Netflix, and it is it is excellent. It is sort of a dark comedy. Uh, Ali Wong, who I think is one of the absolute best, like one of if not the best stand up working today. Uh, my wife and I went and saw her a year or two ago, the last time she came through San Francisco, and and it was just hilarious. Uh, but it's a more dramatic role. She is wonderful in it. And Steven Yoon, who's great as well. Uh, he's also the lead voice in Invincible, which is the super, you know, very dark superhero animated series that's on Amazon Prime that has only had one season so far. Season two, I think, is coming out sometime later this year. Anyway, uh, Ali Wong, Steven Yoon, both great in this, and the show is excellent. So check it out. Beef on Netflix. Pro tip of the week time. Here it is from Jeff in Tucson. Ryan, Jeff from Tucson here. I have a pro tip for your listeners. Uh, Hopefully they haven't heard about it or taken advantage of it before. But a few months ago, I discovered you could connect an individual Spotify account to your personal profile, which works great. 
I know this is old news. I prefer to listen to a variety of podcasts, especially a certain unofficial Tesla podcast, where my, my partner has a great taste in music and is our DJ when we are together. She often creates playlists on her account for road trips, and I tend to do most of the driving. So I created two profiles for myself, one with my Spotify login if I happen to borrow her car, and the other with hers. It makes it very easy to switch between the Spotify accounts and still have access to all my settings the way I like. On a side note, I'm taking delivery of a Model Y performance this weekend and was pleasantly surprised when they uh, reduced my purchase price last week. Anyway, hope your listeners uh, find this helpful and have a wonderful day. Jeff, first of all, congratulations on your new Model Y performance. What a nice cherry on top that you unexpectedly got a $2,000 discount on the car that you'd already agreed to pay a higher price for. Bonus! Uh, As for your pro tip, this is a really good one. I know there are a lot of Spotify users out there, and I imagine that many of those folks will find this useful. So thank you very much for calling in with that. And if anybody else out there has a pro tip of the week that you'd like to share with me and your fellow Tesla owners and enthusiasts, please call in with it the same way that you call in with the regular Ride the Lightning hotline calls. I told you about that just a few minutes ago. Let me mention some friends of Ride the Lightning that can perhaps be of assistance to you before I step out for this week. First up is abstractocean.com. They have so many great aftermarket Tesla accessories. You got to just go there and browse around. Every now and again in this part of the show, I will actually do that in real time and just look at some of the products. But this has been a bit of a longer show, so I will skip that. Just trust me. Go over there abstractocean.com, click on whichever Tesla you own, take a look through all the really cool accessories that they've got, pile everything that you like into your online shopping cart, and then when you get to checkout, use the coupon code RTLPODCAST to get 15% off of your first order. That's RTLPODCAST, all one word, no spaces, And thank you so much to Abstract Ocean for continuing to make that very generous discount offer available to anyone listening to this podcast. Get your snap plate for the Model 3, Y, X, and S as well at everyamp.com slash RTL. That's the front license plate bracket that I recommend rather than the one that Tesla gives you, which sticks to your car with automotive tape. No, don't do that. Get the snap plate from everyamp.com slash RTL. Make those fix-it tickets go away. It's a clean, minimalist design, blends really nice with the front end when it's installed. And if you want to take it off, maybe you're detailing the car, maybe you're going to a Cars and Coffee car show, something like that, you can take it off and it's going to leave no unsightly hardware behind. Everyamp.com slash RTL. BudgetSafeSolar.com. They now offer battery storage. Here, uh, if you're considering solar, particularly in California as well, uh, because batteries are now a necessity per the California Public Utility Commission. So uh, typically, as Budget Safe Solar notes, as goes California with this stuff, so goes the country. We shall see if that proves to be true on this. But if you have solar or are considering solar, let Budget Safe Solar add energy storage to your system. Or if you just want to do a solar system from the the ground up as I did 
go to budgetsafesolar.com and they will work with you on designing something that's going to specifically suit your needs. I have an eight kilowatt system on my roof, which again, I've been having so much fun here as we get, you know, day after day and another, you know, couple weeks into spring, just watching more and more kilowatt hours pile up day by day, especially now that it's sunny and the rainy season seems to be over. Like so far as I record this, yesterday was my high water mark thus far. I peaked at 4.47 kilowatts and generated a total of 35.1 kilowatt hours yesterday, which I realize that's kind of meaningless because you don't know how big my house is and there's no context for that. But uh, as I think I might've mentioned way, way back, if you just go back to, let's just say even March, well, when did I, February, Valentine's Day. I know we had just gotten it by then. Valentine's Day, two months ago, we'd done basically half that, 17.4 kilowatt hours. So as that sky stays, as that sun stays in the sky longer, as we move towards into spring and towards summer, it's just been awesome to see. Anyway, budgetsafesolar.com. Next up, Immaculate Reflections. Their website is irdetailing.com. If you are going to be in the greater San Francisco Bay Area with a car that you love, be it your Tesla or another car in your garage, treat it to a spa day at Immaculate Reflections. They kindly offer a discount for anyone who listens to this podcast. All you got to do when you reach out to the owner, Jeff, via irdetailing.com. Just mention when you're going to book in a service, whether it's paint protection film, paint correction, and or ceramic coating, say, hey, I listened to Ride the Lightning. May I please have the Ride the Lightning discount? And Jeff will say, you betcha. So check him out, irdetailing.com. You can see his Yelp page at yelp.com slash immaculate reflections and his Instagram page where his handle is immaculate underscore reflections. PureTesla.com slash RTL gets your dash cam and sentry mode set up. It is a micro SD based solution that's going to be a lot more reliable than a traditional USB flash memory, which is what you get included with your car. So grab yours at PureTesla.com slash RTL. It's just $49 shipped free anywhere in the US for the 128 gigabyte kit. If you want to go bigger than that, the 256 gigabyte kit also ships free anywhere in the US for $69. Comes fully formatted right out of the package, ready to go, plug it right into your car, works with Mac or PC. Again, the free shipping anywhere in the US, but they will ship internationally as well. They'll just be a modest shipping fee for anything that's got to ship globally. Uh, I mentioned my Patreon earlier in the show, patreon.com slash Tesla podcast, so I will not linger on that. If you do not already subscribe to slash follow this podcast on your podcast platform of choice, please do so. That is a totally free thing. It just means that you will be notified and the new episode will be pushed right to you automatically anytime there is a new episode, which with this podcast, of course, is every Sunday at 9 a.m. Eastern, 6 a.m. Pacific. So you can follow slash subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify. You can find me on YouTube, but in audio only format. But if you do want to listen there, just search Ride the Lightning Tesla on YouTube. You should find my channel very quickly and easily, and you can subscribe from there. Uh, What else? 
Follow me on Twitter, if you like, at DMC underscore Ryan. Same handle on Instagram, DMC underscore Ryan. My email address, which you're welcome to email me at any time, is teslapodcast at gmail.com. And finally, let me say a hello and thank you to the Plaid Maximum Plaid and Roadster in Space tier backers. I will start with the Roadster in Space tier because there is a new one. Thank you so much to Robert from near Philly for the very generous Patreon pledge. Along with the rest of the Roadster in Space tier backers, they are Pete White, Lyle Austin, Steve Radspinner, Fernando Cordero, Lawton from Chicago, Sean Neidig, Neil Weaver, Jackson Wallace, Rolf and Jennifer Evers, Howard Anthony Smith, Victoria Iacovetto, Tesla Hitchhiker 42, who I'll be chatting with this weekend as part of the one-on-one conversation perk that's part of the Roadster in Space tier, and then Carol Weston as well. The Maximum Plaid group, big thanks, goes out to Jonathan Wales, Cameron Clark, Daniel Grummer, Seth Capello, Nick and Tony, the Galpin family, Ryan from Las Vegas, Darren Nickel, Kaz Barnes, Brett Libano, Patrick Wisniewski, Gil Cabrera, Watley, Mark Eversoll, Todd Badger, Joe Edgel, Kevin Yank, the Tesla Owners Club of San Joaquin Valley, Michael Williams, Will Stedman, Mait Suaru, Derek Nesselrote, Justin Perez, Jeremy Harris, Chris Beach, Tom Mills, Alex Brem, Corey O'Donnell, Aaron, John Cody, Andre Kent, Joel Sapp, Kim Bay, Paul Casarino, Richard Corley, Chris Osborne, KB, We Drive Tesla EV Luxury Car Rental in Oahu, HaloBengals.com, Chris Pratt, Ken Epstein, Doug Carey, James Gregory, Adam Lavoy, ContactOneCallCenter.com, Jason Chalukas, and Travis Krenzel. We had a, a, a lot of those names showed up for last weekend's monthly Patreon Zoom hangout with the which the Maximum Plaid and higher backers get access to. Fantastic conversation last month. They're, they're always fun, but we really got into some interesting places on, uh, on last month's. And I want to thank uh, everybody that took the time to show up for that. I greatly appreciate you spending a little bit of your time with me once a month for that Maximum Plaid Zoom hangout. And then finally, the Plaid level supporters who are grandfathered in as they are uh, kind enough to continue backing me at that Plaid level tier. Thank you to George Cassiopo, David Brander, Logan Willis, Peter Chalet, Eric Randolph, Dory and Steve Guberman, the Tesla owners of Taiwan, Ron Lee, Charlie Gillespie, David Perella, Dennis Peak, Jeff Angwin, Chase Cabanillas, the Lydia family, Aaron Altschul, Jared Brown, Jerome Strack, Jamie Dalton, the Tesla owners East Bay Club, Mike and Barbara from Louisville, David J. Howes, Matt Nixon, the Tesla owners club of Wisconsin, Jonathan Zelezny, Ish, not Elon Musk, T. Kirk Lowry, Peter, and the Bear Boys of Colorado, B-A-E-R, the Bear Boys of Colorado. Thank you so much. I appreciate everybody taking the time out of their busy weeks to hang out and chat Tesla with me and just enjoy, just share in the enthusiasm that we all have for these cars and for what this company is up to. It is just so much fun. The Cybertruck is going to be even more fun. And we are now five months away 
from those being on the roads as just official public vehicles rather than Tesla alpha test builds. So we're getting close. The f- I'll tell you, the five months is going to go by quickly. I can promise you that uh, we're going to have a blast getting there. And then once we get there, that's going to be a fun launch event. And I do hope I'm able to attend, but whether I uh, am able to do that or not, I will certainly have full coverage for you here on Ride the Lightning. So for a uh, not quite snoozing Daisy the Boxer and oh, a still awake Zelina the Future Service Dog, how come you're awake? I'm surprised. Anyway, I'm Ryan McCaffrey. This was Ride the Lightning episode 403. Happy electric motoring, and I'll see you all next week. I mean, I think a Tesla is the most fun thing you could possibly buy ever. That's what it's meant to be. Our goal is to make... It's, it's not exactly a car. It's actually a thing to maximize enjoyment. It's maximum fun.